Hi, my name is Robert McMahon. I'm the Connection Director here at Covenant Church, and I'm thrilled that you're listening. If you're checking us out for the first time, welcome. We're so glad that you're here, and I'd like to take this chance to invite you to let us know that you're tuning in today. We'd love nothing more than to help you start building meaningful relationships and to join you on the journey of faith. Just go to bgcovenant.org connect and let us know how we can be in touch. With that said, let's dive in and listen together to this week's message. Today, we have the great privilege of starting a brand new sermon series. I'm calling it The Good Life. I'm going to need your patience on this one because it's going to get bleak for a minute. Uh, we're going to be in the book of Ecclesiastes and you're going to go, I thought you said this was going to be good. And I did. And we'll get there. Um, we've been, I've been circling around a series like this for, I would say, five years or so. It's kind of been on my radar to do, and this year it just kind of landed that it's the right time. Um, essentially, the reason we're going to chase it today is we are all searching for the good life. We're all looking for that next thing, the next bit, the next piece, the next horizon. What's the thing that's going to make life good? For a lot of people, uh, life blew up in COVID. A lot of people, 2020 kind of exposed how not good life was when you had to just sit in your life and you couldn't be distracted. And that was its own challenge. And then, and then normal came back, if you'll track with me through 2020, 2021, and it, it was normal again. And then normal wasn't as satisfying as we thought it was going to be after all. And so what, when normal isn't the good life and, and when chasing isn't the good life, where is the good life? This is what we're scratching around for. And so what we're going to do today is sit with um, the book of Ecclesiastes. And it's essentially like sitting next to, if you could sit next to somebody in their late 80s, early 90s, who had been through everything, done everything, and said, pull up a chair, pull up a rocking chair, let's sit on the porch, and let me just tell you about life. And as I tell you about life, let me tell you what matters, what doesn't. Let me tell you what's good and what's not. And someone would just pour out wisdom upon wisdom upon wisdom. And that's what the book of Ecclesiastes is. It's really this, um, this life reminisced about. And what we can do from it is then say, well, what does that mean about the life we still have to live? Because the great benefit we get is we still have days in front of us. We're calling it the good life. Like I said, it might be a little bleak. You're going to um, think I'm lying. I would compare it to a goth convention with a power outage. It's going to get dark. She gets it. Ecclesiastes is uh, the part of the Bible. It comes from the wisdom literature, Job, Proverbs. Um, And this book is often attributed to King Solomon. Solomon is David's son. Solomon uh, had more wealth, more power, more fame, more education than any of us can even imagine. We're going to get to all the details of that in the future. Solomon had 300 wives and 700 concubines. So Solomon lived, and he's going to tell us what life was like. Um, And so while Solomon is often, this is ascribed to him, others would say, no, this is a common point of view that someone would write from the point of view of a king or a famous person in order to get the message across. And so there's disagreement in Christian orthodoxy as to who wrote the book. What we know is it's written from the point of view of Solomon and the writer calls himself the preacher. So what we're going to do for the next eight weeks is just talk about the preacher. And if you want to think it's Solomon, you're welcome to do that. If you think, I don't know, odds are you'll never think about it again. So just made sure I said it for you. We're going to call him the preacher, and so let's just get started. Ecclesiastes 1, verse 1, buckle up. Here comes sunshine. The words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem, vanity of vanities, says the preacher, vanity of vanities. All is vanity. What does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun goes down and hastens to the place where it rises. 
The wind blows to the south and goes around to the north. Around and around goes the wind, and on its circuits the wind returns. All streams run to the sea, but the sea is not full. To the place where the streams flow, there they flow again. All things are full of weariness, and man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. What has been is what will be, and what has been done is what will be done, and there is nothing new under the sun. Is there a thing of which it is said, see, this is new? It has already been in the ages before us. There is no remembrance of former things, nor will there be any remembrance of later things yet to be among those who come after. Pull up a chair, pour yourself a drink. It's going to, he says, what does he say? It's meaningless. Life is vanity. Life is meaningless. Everything is vanity. What kind of vanity? The vanity of vanities. He's repeating himself for effect to say all of it is worthless. The oceans, the streams run into the oceans and the oceans are never filled. And then the streams are refilled, but they never, there's no end in sight. It's a treadmill and he's on it and he goes, everything is vanity. The NIV will translate that word as meaningless. Everything is meaningless. You'll also hear it translated vapor or mist or breath. All through the Old Testament, this word is used for things that appear and disappear quickly. You know, on a first cold day of the year, you're walk out in the morning, go to work, you let the dog out, whatever, you know, you get outside and it's that first time it kind of catches you and you, you breathe out and you see your breath. You're like, oh, falls here. And then as soon as you see it, it's gone. That's the picture that the writer is giving. The preacher is saying, it's vapor and it's gone. And I love it because it's so real. We're chasing the next thing. We're chasing the remember, remember three vacations ago? Can you go three vacations ago? Nope. Vapor. Meaningless. Mist. It just, everything kind of comes and goes. It repeats and it cycles and I'm tired, but then I'm refreshed, but then I'm exhausted and then I'm renewed. And then, and he's going, everything works this way. If, 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 if the preacher is standing here, he'd say, oh, you have a nice lawn? Tell me more about that. And you'd finish saying it. And he'd go, oh, vapor. Is that a nice new shirt you're wearing? I love that shirt. Vapor. Oh, you lift, bro? Vapor. You drive a Tesla? Vapor. You have 13 PhDs? Vapor. Meaningless. Breath. Mist. It's over. It doesn't matter. It's gone. Keep reading. It gets better. Verse 12, I, the preacher, have been king over Israel in Jerusalem, and I applied my heart to seek and search out by all wisdom all that is done under heaven. It is an unhappy business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. I've seen everything that is done under the sun, and behold, all is vanity and a striving after wind. I said in my heart, I've acquired great wisdom, surpassing all who were over Jerusalem before me. And my heart has had a great experience of wisdom and knowledge. And I applied my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and to know folly. And I perceive that this also is but a striving after wind. Appealing to this idea of Solomon, he says, I've seen it all. I've done it all. I've learned it all. I've owned it all. And I, we will get into all of the alls. What has he seen? What has he done? What has he learned? What has he owned? We're going to look into it. And yet he summarizes it here. So I'm going to give you a little spoiler alert for the weeks to come. He says, it's all striving after wind. Have you ever chased the wind? It's absurd and ridiculous to even consider it because you can't do it because it's worthless. You can't catch it. It's vapor. It's breath. It's meaningless. And this is either for you this morning going to be really depressing or sort of refreshing. And it depends on how you came in, and it depends on how you're going to walk out. It's either going to be depressing or refreshing. Like, um, you already feel this way in a, lot of, in a lot of ways in your life. You already sort of feel like this. Like, anybody who's ever had a job, 
and you do your job on Monday, what do you get to do on Tuesday? Do your job again. And when you finish and resolve Tuesday, you wake up on Wednesday, and what do you do? Your job. And then on Thursday, and guess what? If you finish a week or a month or a year, what do you have in front of you? Another week or a month or a year? It just keeps going. Who does laundry in your house? Unless you do laundry in the nude, you always have dirty clothes waiting to be laundered, if you think about it, okay? So, like, you can finish the wash, and you, I do this. So, so our house, we, we're trying to train our kids to do their own laundry. Everybody kind of, it's just a mad dash. So it depends. Everybody thinks they have a day, and then we all use the other one's day, and it doesn't matter. Someone will fold this person's thing. Someone will fold that person. It doesn't matter. And, and we'll get to the point, and I'll, I, every single time my laundry is done, I will be looking for the basket, and then I have a pile of clothes in my, where I keep my laundry basket in my closet. I have a pile of clothes in there before I can get the laundry done, folded, and the basket emptied and put back in. Every time. It is the ever, never-ending treadmill of laundry. Maybe you don't do laundry. Maybe you're not into laundry. Maybe you're more of a dish guy. You into dishes? You ever done dishes? You finish dishes, what happens? Always one more cup, right? Maddening. Always one more. There's always another meal. There's always another thing. There's always more. There's always more. And you eventually get to the place where you go, this too is vanity. And you can say that today if you'd like when doing the dishes. Someone in here is absolutely going to have a tough week in marriage. I'm sorry. You can email me. Blame me. Someone is going to start a fight. Someone is going to walk into the living room and go, honey, are you going to mow this week? The grass is like knee high. And the response will come, vanity of vanities. I cut it, it grows, I cut it, it grows. Vapor. <laughs> well, maybe just take the trash out. Why? More just shows up. Are you going to shower? Just be dirty again tomorrow. And they're not wrong. <laughs> and this stuff was all exacerbated post-COVID. So this is something we don't talk about, we haven't talked about. I've, I heard this recently from an author and a, a, a counselor who described it this way. He said, COVID was actually a global trauma event. I hadn't thought of it this way, and I think it's pretty, um, it's pretty interesting. Remember the early days, it's hard to remember, the early days of COVID, there was actually a real fear of death. That was a real thing. And then, then people started to get bored with it, and then there was boredom, and then there was anger, and then everybody was mad at whoever wasn't on their side, whatever their side was of whatever the issue was. And that wasn't even a real thing, but it was changes and stresses and political and cultural upheaval, and there was virtual school and virtual work and virtual church. And we collectively ran out of gas. We were operating on reserves, but they only last so long. And so we kind of went through a season where everything was new and different, although there's nothing new under the sun. And everything felt changed, and everything was harder, and everything was relearned, and then we finally got to the end of it. And they were like, okay, everything's open again, and we tried to go back to normal, and we flamed out. I would tell anybody who wants to, to know, I, a network of pastors and ministers I know, about half of 20 or 30, I would say that I kind of have a, some regular contact with, about half took three months sabbaticals. And about half of those reached out to me and said, if I knew how to do anything else, if I had any other skill, I'd do that because I'm out. I'm burned. I can't do it. Talk to a nurse, talk to a teacher, talk to somebody in the medical profession. Talk to people who've had to talk to you, talk to the mirror. We were exhausted by just the pace of always having to change. 
John Eldridge, the uh, counselor and author, says this way. He says, we tap into our deep reserves to endure years of suffering and deprivation. This is all trauma, but it applies to us here. He says that after you've tapped into those deep reserves, one day our heart simply says, I don't care anymore. Does that sound familiar from COVID? Everybody found their place where you went, you know what? I don't care anymore. I'm done. He says, we abandon the fight and then we go off to find relief. That's true of us in this moment. Zoomed out, it's not that different from any other generation, if we're honest. We think we're special. We're not special. Generations come and go, the preacher says. Nothing's really different. The danger for us is that weary hearts eventually give up. Weary hearts eventually stop fighting and go and search for relief. And all that we're going to hear from the preacher is all these paths of relief that don't satisfy. Verse 7, all streams run to the sea, but the sea is not full. The place where the streams flow, there they flow again. All these things are full of weariness, and man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied. The ear is filled with hearing. What, is it be? what has been is what will be, and what has been done is what will be done. There is nothing new under the sun. There's nothing new under the sun. I read this again because I, now that we're starting to get a sense of this preacher and the sense of this, this heart that is un, unloading on us, I love this. He goes off on the hydrological cycle. He says, this is so insane. And he just goes through condensation, precipitation. He goes through the whole thing. It's like none of it matters. None of it changes. None of it is changing for us. We can't do anything about it. All things are weariness. We are listening to a guy whose reserves might be on empty. Imagine being married to this guy. Some of you might be, and you'll find out this week. Imagine being married to this guy, and you'd say, happy birthday. One day closer to death, I suppose. (laughs) Happy anniversary, honey. Got you this card. We will mark our mutual entrapment with extra calories and this note. (laughs) How was church today? Meaningless. Vapor. Vanity. It's already gone, and we'll do it again next week, I suppose. All right, you know. All right. Another thing he says that I love, there's nothing new under the sun. Uh, No, there's new things. There's new things. No, there's nothing. I say this a lot. I say this all the time. People in my house can probably get sick of it. We're not special. A good example of how there's nothing new under the sun is that um, nothing I'm saying is new or original. I read a book by this guy David Gibson, another one by this guy Zach Eswine, and I, I read the transcripts of sermons by this guy Matt Chandler, and then I looked at what Calvin said, and, what, and I, I just read other people's writings and, and teachings on Ecclesiastes, and they all kind of blend in my brain, and somewhere in there comes out some words, but they're not new words. Other people have preached this before. For thousands of years, people have preached this. Jesus and his disciples would have known these words because they were in the script. They were, this is not new. Even the things that we're just uncovering, it's new to us, but it's not new. You guys are aware of the metaverse? You pretty into the metaverse? Who's in the metaverse? Nobody. Nobody's in the metaverse. Stop that. VR goggles. Have you seen people in VR goggles? Let's see her. She's up there. This is what you look like in VR goggles. I just need you to see that. I don't know why she's wearing business slacks, but don't. <laughs> she is. She is very serious about her. V- this is not new. People are going to say this is new. It's coming. It's new. It's great. It's new. It's a new thing. It's not new. We've always had what she was doing. We've always had in, in the 2000s, it was called a chat room. And you had instant messenger. It went, pring, 
and it went back and forth, and you chatted with people. In the 80s, we called this an arcade, and people would go put quarters into machines, and they would play games with each other in common rooms. In the 50s, there was a drive-in burger joint where the rebellious kids would go hang out and have milkshakes. Like, this is, this is, we're not having to go back that far. That's not new. It's just putting white plastic on your face to do the same thing that we've been doing forever. It's a new way of doing the same thing. Social media is just more efficient gossip. We've always had it. Modern sex and gender stuff, nope. People have always tested God's design. It's not new. It's not unique. It's not cute. It's not new. Your favorite comedian is just a downstream version of the court jester in Solomon's temple. We've always had them. Your favorite crypto, art, NFT, whatever, is literally a cave drawing on a computer screen. It's not new. I got into these new things. No, you didn't. There's nothing new under the sun. Who wants to live with the preacher? Just nothing can ever be fun, right? He's being exhausted for a reason. I think he's being exhausted for a reason. Uh, one is there's this, there's this thing, like we're always searching, maybe I need a new job, maybe I need a new relationship, maybe I need, maybe what I need is a change, I need a new season. And this is what we would call the grass is greener trap. The grass is greener trap says that the grass over there looks greener because you haven't been there to trample it yet. But it doesn't actually, you're still, you're taking all your problems and you're going to transfer to this other place. So you can move houses, you can move jobs, you can move relationships, you can move partners, you can do whatever you want to do. But the grass is only greener over there because you haven't been there on it yet. It's a trap. The other trap is the more, better, different trap. And this is our trap as consumers. We've talked about this six months ago-ish, maybe. The idea is like you need a television. I want a television. And then you get a nice television. You're happy with your television until you realize I need more televisions because I wish I had one in that room too. And so now you've got more televisions. But I saw my friend, he's got a better television. I want better televisions. So now you have more, but then you upgrade them to better. And then they're better, but then they're not that curved one with the weird blue light in the background of it that kind of looks like it's floating on the wall. So I need different. So you do the more, better, different trap. And that trap leads to despair because once you're out of more TVs and better TVs and different TVs, you realize that TVs didn't actually satisfy And some people do it with spouses, and some people do it with television, some people do it with jobs, some people do it with cars. Everybody has their more, better, different trap. There's the grass is greener trap, the more, better, different trap, but both traps tell you there's nothing new under the sun, and your problems aren't going to get solved that way. Somebody in here is going, I'm not into any of that stuff. I'm, I'm a minimalist. Oh, let's talk about minimalism. Modern consumers go through minimalism. Everybody has a minimalism phase. I'm going to tell you what minimalism is. You're going to be surprised when I say this. It's meaningless. It's vapor. It's breath. It's mist. You know how rich you have to be to feel the need to simplify? Think about it for a minute. You have to have so much stuff that your stuff is now a problem. I'm going to be a minimalist. That's like, that's privilege on legs. It's just minimalism. It's good. But that's okay. It's vanity. We're okay with that. I'm not mad at you. If you're minimalist, if you're, well, it's fine. I've gone through my stage. Poor people feel the need to strive for more. Got to taste the good life. Guess what? Meaningless. City people. What do city people do on vacation? City people, we got to get out to nature. Men in cubicles, what do they do on the weekend? We hunt things. I shoot that thing. I killed it. Vapor. City people, city people. Head out to the summer cabin. Got to get out. Air sure is fresh out here. Meaningless. Rural people, country people, we got to go to the big city. My, look at them buildings. Smells kind of like homeless. (laughs) Vapor. 
meaningless, worthless, breath, mist, it disappears. And the preacher is being exhaustive in this writing, in this letter, because he wants you to hear, I've done it all. There's nothing you can chase that doesn't terminate in vanity. Your lunch today is vapor. Your career is vanity. Your money is meaningless. We wake, we work, we eat, we die. Vanity, vapor, meaningless. Welcome to Covenant. Post that one online. Just, just that snippet. Until you realize that nothing under the sun will ultimately satisfy you, this feels like a gut punch. The book of Ecclesiastes is a punch in the stomach until you realize that he has said there is nothing new under the sun. Because what we're aiming for, I think why God gave this part of Scripture to us, is to help us. It's looking backwards. We can see what life is going to be like. We can live through someone else's footsteps and then go, I don't have to make the same mistakes. Nothing under the sun is going to fulfill you. It's going to last. It's going to matter. Nothing under the sun is more than vapor and mist. And God needs us to see that there's something missing in our daily life. That abundance is absent in all these things for a reason. And in order to break the cycle, in order to smash the treadmill of meaninglessness, In order to pull us out of the rut, we have to see that there is nothing new under the sun because we need to see what we are actually searching for, what we are wired for, what we have been created for is something that exists beyond the sun. And only then does hope show up. When we put our hope in anything under the sun, we land on vapor, breath, mist, meaningless, vanity. And until we get to the place where we go beyond the sun, only then do we start to find hope. Isaiah 43, the prophet says, Behold, I am doing a new thing, and it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. In the places of emptiness, God says, I'm bringing fullness. In the hopeless seasons, God says, I'm offering true satisfaction. How? In this bleak landscape, Jesus crashes in. So so God is putting forth the story of humanity in Scripture. And while the writer, the preacher of Ecclesiastes is not um, writing in the time of Jesus. Jesus is to come and the, the God of the universe knows that and he's holding out, there's more, there's more, there's more, just wait for it. It isn't these things, it's more. Jesus shows up and they say, how do we find eternal life? How are we saved? Where, where is hope for us, Jesus? In John fourteen six, Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. In John 10.10, he says, I came that they can have real life and eternal life and more life and better life than they ever dreamed of. Jesus comes to say, I am the good life. And the people he's talking to, the Pharisees he's talking to, the religious he's talking to, they knew Ecclesiastes. They knew there was nothing new under the sun. And yet there was this prophecy that there would be one new thing, that God would make a way in the wilderness, that there would be a path through the worthlessness. And Jesus comes to say, it's me. And all the things you chase are letting you down. And I keep saying, it's me, it's me, it's me. And you're looking for a new car. And you think maybe it's a boat. Maybe I should change jobs. Jesus says, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. I am your hope. Jesus is the new thing. And Jesus is the only thing that interrupts the wake, work, eat, die cycle. I am the way to new life. 
Jesus offers eternal life beyond the rut, hope and grace beyond the weariness. Jesus unlocks everything. In Jesus, all of a sudden, work that was meaningless can now be worshipful. He gives meaning to our work. Money that could be worthless is now leverage for justice. Jesus gives meaning to money. Sex can show us a picture of true intimacy. Jesus gives meaning to sex. In Jesus, what was worthless becomes valuable. In Jesus, the lost and broken become found and whole. In Jesus, we trade our weariness and our weakness for the Holy Spirit of God. We trade our weariness and our weakness and our depletedness and our depressedness. We trade that for the Holy Spirit of God. And we go from ready to pass out because it never changes. Because I'm exhausted and tomorrow's another day to having a roaring lion of the Holy Spirit living in us and through us and giving meaning not just to our month or our week or our day. It gives meaning to our breath. And all of a sudden, what was meaningless and mist and vapor becomes powerful. Our words that are nothing new and that are just spoken and lost forever, our words become tools of power, ways to encourage or challenge. They become pathways to eternity. All of a sudden, just, just speaking can have meaning. All of a sudden, the life that we think we've carved out for ourselves, the things of the world, the things under the sun, they fall away, and we go, what is the point? The point is that Jesus makes it all matter. The good life is found when we take what was once vapor and we trade it in for Jesus. We make Jesus the filter through which we see life. We make Jesus the first and foremost. We say it a lot around here, everybody's in a battle. Everybody walks in and you are all carrying something. Some of you are carrying the weight of the world in your shoulders and you're ready to be done. Some of you have a little, little hitch in your side and you don't know what it's becoming, but man, I wish I'd get rid of that too. Everybody has a battle, personal, private, or public, big, small, financial, relational, spiritual. And every single one of us brings that in, and we're all looking for the solution to life's problems. We're looking for the good life, because when I find the good life, maybe this problem goes away. And you walk in drained and depleted, and you do the same thing the same way each and every week, and you go, I don't know where the hope comes from. I don't know where my help comes from. I don't know when this season ends. And what we're learning today and what we're going to learn in the weeks to come is relief and rescue are not in another gadget or a new partner, or more wealth, or more knowledge. Jesus is waiting for you. Jesus wants to be your relief. Jesus wants to be your rescue. Jesus wants to offer you the good life. And the way he does that is he says, come, follow me. Jesus, how do we do this? Come, follow me. If you want to know more about what that means, stick with us. If you want to Send me an email, Kyle at BG coming out the door. What does it mean to follow him? What does it mean? I, I do follow him, but what do you mean? Is there more? What am I missing? We want to walk the journey together. We want to figure out what that means together. But in the weeks to come, we're going to unpack what doesn't satisfy and how we find the Jesus life where he says, you will find fullness. You will find hope. You will find restoration. You will find meaning. It's all there. And the answer to the problem of life is come follow me in your finances, in your relationships, in your career choices. Come follow me. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you uh, bring challenges to us as we unpack your word and as we uh, 
as we wrestle with the reality of vapor and meaningless and vanity and the challenge of that. And Father, my prayer would be uh, personally that we wouldn't get lost in kind of the absurd humor of everything being meaningless, but we would instead be convicted, each in our own way, of the area of our life, the area of our life where we are chasing and striving after wind and we're not finding any hope and we wonder why, God, bring that area of our life to the forefront of our hearts and minds right now. Remind us of who we are and what we were made for. Remind us that all of the striving and all of the chasing is leading us exactly where it's supposed to. God, convict us that the emptiness we feel is not there as a resolution, but it's there to ask us a question. Father, challenge our hearts to seek you, to find you, to follow you with our whole lives, but then in every single moment, in every aspect, in every morning, in every workday, in every parenting, in every, every retirement. God, let us be yours. And as we follow you, unlock and unfold the glory and the beauty and the meaning and the purpose of life. Father, we trust you. We thank you for your word that sometimes cuts and sometimes feels like a lot. And we trust you that the rescue and relief you offer is what we're after. So we come to you. Find us here. We're seeking you. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hi again. Just a reminder to let us know that you're listening by heading over to bgcovenant.org connect. If you're ready to be known, we'd love to know you. And we hope you'll join us soon for our live Sunday service at 9.30, 11 a.m. or 11 a.m. online. Thanks for listening.